And for sure. For sure. For sure. For sure. For sure. For sure. And for sure. For sure. For sure. For sure. And for sure. For sure. Sure. For sure. And for sure. Welcome to another episode of For Sure, a 200-foot podcast. It's me, Jay. Now, usually that would be Pete saying those things, and then I would chime in, and then we get the episode started. But for just the second week in a row, we have another special episode for you. That's right. Pete's on the road. He decided to fold up his picnic cloth and tie it to his walking stick and thumbed a ride up to Rochester for the Rochester Institute of Technology's Sports Analytic Conference. Now I know what you're saying. Hey, 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 it's Ritzak. First rule of Ritzak is you don't talk about Ritzak. And if you talk about it, you have to use a graph talking about how you don't talk about Ritzak. But I'm going to break the rules here and actually talk about it. So it's a industry event that allows uh, students, faculty, and anyone interested in uh, seeing how statistical analysis is being implemented in, you know, hashtag sports. Our roving road reporter Pete Flynn was able to gain entry into this Valhalla feast to pick the brains of some of the people that were presenting. So we've got a couple of really cool interviews coming up for you guys. Uh, we've got some uh, fun stuff from Matthew Barlow and CJ Taturo, who were there to present for a Tableau workshop. And then we've also got Matt Kane, who was speaking on some curling analytics. Uh, from what I gather from Twitter, tiaras were involved, but that's something I guess we'll get into a little bit later. So in an effort to speed things along here, because we know you want to listen to what these people have to say, I'm going to toss to my broadcast partner, Pete, who will introduce some fun interviews that you guys can enjoy, and uh, we'll see you on the other side. Our guest, uh, our guest today is Matt Kane. Uh, we are sitting in a we're sitting at a table at RIT. Uh, we are on break for lunch for the RIT Sports Analytics Conference, and uh, Matt has graciously offered to uh, give up a little bit of his lunch uh, to be with us today. So, uh, so how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. I, I I gave up a bit of my lunch, but I kind of snuck lunch in, and I've done my presentation. So yeah. so the day is smooth from here. Yeah. Actually, let's just jump into that. So um, your presentation was on cur uh, curling. And not cricket, like I said last night, which is another <laughs> another sport that starts with C that I don't know much about. But I think it's fun to watch, but I don't I don't really understand it too much. What was the most interesting thing that you found in doing the research for this? And did it make you more interested in the sport than you were when you started out? Yeah, definitely. I think um, I was a little worried when I started doing the research uh, because it was after I had proposed to, to Ryan to present something here. Uh, so there was a lot of pressure to find something or anything. Um, it really was interesting to start to get into some of the shot-by-shot -shot level data and to look at, you know, if you lead with a guard or if you lead with a draw, how does that impact the rest of the end? Uh, I think in terms of practical things, the thing that most challenged my, like, understanding of curling was really learning that, that blanking the first end, and, and for, like, non-curling folks, this is probably not going to mean anything. Uh, blanking the first end. Uh, wasn't necessarily as um, dominant a strategy as I think a lot of people view it as. And you get similar results if you score one and, and much better results if you score two. So it was fun. It was cool to like learn in more detail a new sport and to sort of challenge myself to get out of the hockey hockey world for a little bit. Yeah. Um, oh, I, I just realized that I didn't really give a proper introduction. So let me just do that real quick. So curling analyst. Yeah, works. exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so if there's any listeners, um, I mean, if you're, if you're into 
stats and analytics about hockey at all, like I, I imagine you probably know who Matt is, but just in case you don't, um, you can find him on Twitter at uh, Kane underscore Matt, so that's C-A-N-E underscore M-A-T-T. He has a bachelor's degree in engineering and management from McMaster University and a master of science in applied math from Ryerson University. So his level of math is, is, is a lot higher than mine. Uh, he's currently a data scientist at a nonprofit, and you could read his work at a lot of different places, hockey graphs. I know last year in Hockey Abstract, you had a, an article on power plays. Yep. I think we'll probably get to that later because I thought it was really interesting, and I definitely wanted to ask about that. Let's just keep it on the topic of the, the conference for now. So we're sitting here at lunch. It's 12.30, and we've had a bunch of presentations and this year, instead of it being the Hockey Analytics Conference, it's the Sports Analytics Conference. So we have presentations from different sports and you know, brought in different people. So what have been like the highlights of the presentation so far? I mean, there's a lot to choose from. Like, you know, like what was like your, this is awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's been a really, this conference is always really great and brings like a wide variety of people together who, you know, offer a lot of different things. I love Seth, uh, Seth Partnow's uh, presentation, which was the last one right before, um, just on what it's like working in uh, a front office and sort of the, like, how, to, how do you add value? Because um, that's really applicable across, you know, any sport. And really is, I mean, even if you're not working in a front office, I think it's a good model for how you can present your work to the public. Yeah. And how you can really, like, not overload your audience who are generally going to um, not have spent as much time thinking about the problem as you have yeah. but a, a good way to to emphasize how to communicate to them um, I thought Jesse McNulty's talk on uh, lacrosse analytics um, and I can't share the details of it was really interesting <laughs> yeah. um, is all proprietary but just the hockey stuff was really cool because it showed to me that we've sort of We've moved a little bit beyond everyone just coming and presenting their new like player model. Um, we're getting a lot more into tactics and systems and thinking about really how do we add value at the coaching or at the player level rather than just the management and the decision level. And both are like really interesting problems to solve. Yeah. It's just that we were really lacking in that area before and it's, it's been really great to see Ian's presentation and Ryan and Matt and Judy and Chris and, and everyone who, who talked this morning. Yeah. And CJ. I don't want to leave anyone yeah. out. I mean, of course, the Chris pretty much start out, started off with Matt Cain as a god. So um, I, I had a little to, bias, but yeah. <laughs> I had to like that one because he, he complimented me, but he also talked about a topic that was near and dear to my heart, which, yeah. is, which is aggressive play and four forwards. And right. Sort of um, so uh, the, uh, the, the conversation with Seth made me think of something that, like one of the questions I wrote down before, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, if you recognize Matt's name, you probably know him for is the, uh, the free agent salary projection model. So um, one thing that I always find interesting, which is something that I, I kind of uh, was thinking about while Seth was talking, is like, for example, yesterday, uh, no, two days ago, um, we were talking in our, our Slack channel about, hey, you know, Dylan Larkin still hasn't signed. We really should. And Prashanth was kind of like the, the, the proponent of this. He's like... You know, I, I used to think that signing into a long-term deal was the way to go, but now I really think that a, a three-year deal would probably be better. And I started off, I was like, no, I mean, that's, that's not true. And then I spent like five hours yesterday or two days ago writing the article. And as I was doing it, I was like, if he signs before I publish this, all this work is for nothing. But, you know, so I'm going through and like one thing that I've really tried to work on as a writer is presenting the information 
in a way that's both going to be like complete enough. Like I'm going to, I'm not just like, you know, giving the basic details. I'm giving like some in-depth stuff. But if you're not, if you're, if you're a reader who doesn't really know, okay, this model or whatever, like a way that they can kind of understand it. So like, that's what I was thinking when he was writing that. So one of the things is like, I always, you know, often I'll refer to your model, either like on the podcast or in an article. And one thing I'm, I'm always like, I really want to make sure I'm describing it accurately. So, cause I know there's definitely some misconceptions about like what the model shows. So like, how would you describe it? So I think the simplest way to describe it is it's a model that tries to predict what a player is going to be paid. And that's not necessarily what they're going to be worth. If you think about like, if there were a constant dollars to wins conversion that you could do, you wouldn't look at that and say, you know, we predicted, um, let's say Dylan Larkin as an example, would get six and a half million on a five year deal. Yeah. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to offer that much value, but players who have performed similarly to Dylan Larkin in the past have gotten contracts that on average come out to around six and a half million if they sign to a long-term deal. Yeah. Obviously, if it's shorter, um, it's, it's going to be a different prediction because the model really relies heavily on what the term is and, yeah. and tries to predict the term, but isn't really as good at that. Um, but ultimately, it's, it's trying to think through the thought process that a GM goes through when they decide um, to sign a player to a contract and say, where do we think they're going to end up? from that regard. Because yeah. I think like, in, in writing the article, one of the things that I was like, kind of really thinking about is there's a big difference between like, okay, how many centers in the NHL get paid? Because your, your estimation was like, I, I went with 6 by 6.3. That was that was your your uh, your model's estimation for a six-year deal. And, you know, there's, there's this many centers that make, I think it's like 23 centers or something like that. And then I made this, it, it's, it's, it's an estimate, it's like not a, not a perfect thing. But um, there was an article a while ago, I think it was like Maple Leafs Hot Stove or something like that, uh, where they used, at the time, I think they used DTM's GAR model. Oh, yeah. And they said, okay, like, you know, we can see how many goals above replacement were scored in the NHL last year. And we can see how much did NHL GMs pay everybody. And so we can come up with a, a rough estimate. Like, okay, they, they had this many goals above replacement, so they provided this much value. It's not perfect. You know, like I, in my articles, I'm like, this isn't perfect, but it's, it's kind of good. You know, it's at least close. And... It was interesting because 24 centers, according to that, provided six point. Actually, it ended up being 6.1 million because there's oh, okay. no difference. Yeah. Um, but then the interesting thing was like number 23. Like uh, I took Manny's player ratings uh, for centers, right? And number 23 was Logan Couture, and number 24 is John Tavares. And I mean, there were a couple names on the top 24 where I was like, I think Larkin could be that good. Yeah. But like I was just like. And, and I was going in expecting to find something else. And I ended up really enjoying writing the article because I was like, I'm glad, like, I didn't just go with my bias. You know, and I thought, like, I think that's important, yeah. It's, yeah, I mean, that's ultimately, it's what we're aiming to do in the long run, but it's also really difficult to remove your bias. Mm. Um, especially when, you know, we're working with incomplete data sets and you do have to come up with rough estimates. like. Yeah. Like you said, like you put a rough number on it and you acknowledge that it's not perfect, yeah. but it does allow you to do a little bit better decision making by taking this broad estimate in general. And so it's it's never going to be a perfect science. And you can obviously, if you stick to your bias, you can just tweak that number or whatever, whatever analysis you're doing to make it show that point. But you really have to 
be willing to say, you know, this is where the evidence has led me, and here are some of the reasons why it might be wrong, but this is ultimately the best analysis that I think yeah. can be done. So, so in the past, because I know, um, you know, on your, uh, like on the sheet, uh, and, and base, uh, if anybody's interested, tweet to me, uh, and I'll send you the link to the, to the model. Uh, I'll put it in the show notes, too. Um, you know, so as the contract is entered, you put it up there like, you know, here's what it is, here's what it is. So when there's like a big difference, you know, like uh, I, I, here, um, I just want to double check before I say this because <laughs> I have a feeling there's going to be a big difference. Yeah, Tom Wilson, I figured. So predicted AAV, three and a half million. Obviously, you signed for a lot more than that. Now, I'm, I, I don't want to begin a big Tom Wilson debate because honestly I'm tired of hearing the name Tom Wilson after Twitter and Slack and everything but when there's a contract like that or something similar where like your model is like way off is there like like have you found like a like a um, a reason or reasons that seem to come up the most like a certain type of player or maybe like the team is in a certain situation where they need to win now and they're going to overpay or yeah, oh, definitely. Uh, the things that come up the most are that sort of veteran players or players who have had a lot of tenure with a team, teams tend to value them a lot more than perhaps an external team would. I suspect that there's a lot of value, and I, I haven't actually confirmed this, um, a lot of differences in contracts may also come down to things like how do they perform in the playoffs, how did the team do relative to where they were expected to do, um, one thing that is not included in my model, but that I think is kind of an important um, indicator is like, what's the player's rank on the team? Like, are they the player that's expected to go out there and play top six minutes, um, even if they wouldn't necessarily be a top six player on another team? Uh, because teams tend to want to hang on to those players. And unfortunately, it's probably just a bit of like the bias of you have this asset now and you don't want to get rid of it. Um, but those things are a little bit more difficult to model. So going into the Tom Wilson negotiations, like not to rehash this, sure, yeah, yeah. you kind of know that the model has blind spots to players like him. Um, and so it's, it's difficult sometimes to communicate on Twitter that, hey, you know, it's a model, it's not perfect. Yeah. Um, and here are some of the reasons why it's not going to be perfect. Um, but, you, you know, you, yeah. you try to do your best. Yeah, because, I mean, one thing that can be kind of annoying for me is, you know, as somebody who, you know, tries to do, you know, tries my best to do analysis using, you know, your model and, like, Manny's stuff, and, you know, like, I, I'm not to the point where I can make my own stuff, but, like, you know, I try to do my best with, you know, yeah. interpreting and, and using it as analysis, is, like, no matter how hard I try to be, like, this is not cut and dry, you know, like, in the Dylan Larkin article, there was, um, I used uh, oh, uh, Dom Gallimini's chart, where, like, it's, like, attempting to predict future uh, scoring success, right? First line, second line, third line. And so the chart is like, Dylan Larkin is like 33% first line, 67% second line. And so like, I'm presenting it as like, you know, this this indicates it's more likely that he will be a, a second line center. That doesn't mean he can't be a first line center. I mean, you know, uh, you know, we got Philip Sedina. He ends up playing with Sedina. You never know what's going to happen because Larkin's a very good playmaker. You know, he's turned from a scorer into like an assistant. Yeah, and so now he has an elite sniper. There's a real case to be made that he really could he could jump 20, 25 points. Like it's not unheard of, but at the same time, the data indicates that it's more likely. 
that he's going to be a second line center. And then in the comments, like people are like weaponizing my thing. It's like, well, Peter said sixty six percent. I'm like, yeah, but but like there's context. Like I wrote twenty three hundred words so that I could put all the context in. So like, do you ever find that happening where like you, you realize somebody's using your using your good for evil? <laughs> I think it happens a lot. People, even people who know that it's not an absolute prediction and that there's a margin of error or there's you know a range of possibilities for any given outcome it's easier for the human brain to understand a single number a binary yes no 67 percent becomes 100 percent um you look at like election forecasting people take 67 percent to mean 100 percent oh god um but it, it's it's you ultimately have to i mean what i found is just kind of keep trying to bring people along and hopefully you know i don't think you'll ever get rid of the group that says that thinks only in black and white and only in absolutes um but eventually i think you you can get to the point where you have to explain that it's a probability less and and ultimately there's it what i find a little odd is that the group that argues hockey is too fast moving and there's too many unknowns and and things to uh things that you know can't be measured is also the same group that like has a lot of trouble with like uncertainty and the idea <laughs> that this is a prediction, but there's a whole like range of outcomes that might happen, um, and aren't willing to say you know this is what we think the most likely outcome is, but it could be wide either way. It's it's odd to me that the I I found at least that those are often similar groups of people who respond with with those sorts of uh, yeah. comments. I actually, um, I, I'm not sure if this person, I've never seen this person before, but they're in my mentions, and I'm not sure if um, they listen to this podcast, and if they do, I guess I'm, I'm kind of audibly subtweeting it, but um, <laughs> I'm not going to say the account. And like the, the, the person replied, I, I forget if it was like to my article or something, like basically saying, um, you know, by the end of the contract, you know, a $6.1 million cap hit could feel like 4.5 or so, like whatever the numbers were. And like I did the math and I wrote back, the cap would have to be $109 million. Yeah. And he's like, I think that's excessive. I'm like, no, it's math. Like, here's how you do it. You know? Like, 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 like this, isn't, this isn't, like, subjective. This is, like, literally this percentage of, you know, the cap would have to be $109 million for that percentage to be equivalent, you know? Yeah, well, that's the tough thing is that there are some things that are actually absolutes. And right. if you yeah. spend so much time talking about probability, then sometimes it's hard to shift people back into that mode. But, yeah, it's... There, there's, there's definitely times where the answer isn't a complex model with statistical uncertainties. It's yeah. here is the here is the raw <laughs> math of how that would work. Um, so you know, on our podcast, it's 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 me, but we also have Jay as our co-host. And just because of logistics, you know, he wasn't able to be here, and you know, there wasn't really a good way to kind of pipe him in. Yeah. So over over the uh, the the you know the length of the podcast, I think we've we've definitely established that we have different types of questions and different you know different styles, and I think it works best with with that. So um, I asked Jay for a few questions. Awesome. Uh, so so these next three, unless I ask a follow up, are, are from Jay, right? So for our listeners, if you've been waiting for Jay questions, <laughs> there are, there are no Jersey ones. Jay is a Jersey aficionado. Oh, okay. and it's fun because. I could not care less about your. I'm like, yeah, that's cool. You know, and he'll he'll talk for 20 minutes about like piping or like you know the shoulders or so. You know, um, okay. So the, the first one from him is, what's the one piece of info that you wish was constant or more solid that would make a model or a predictor easier to prove? So like, what you know, what what's like the X factor variable that would make things clearer? Like in a perfect world, like if you were able to access something or have 
a certain type of piece of data that would help predict things better, I guess. So if I, I'll, I'll start by saying for my contract model, mm. if I had like every team's internal scouting database, mm. I think I could do a lot better than, um, than, than really it's doing now, just because that database is going to be, it's going to be stats plus subjective opinions, and those together are going to do, I think, a lot better, um, a lot better than uh, necessarily, you know, you're doing with just stats. I think in terms of predicting, like, player performance, um, obviously the holy grail is, is player tracking data. Um, I think the difficulty with that is really, it's going to be information overload, and it's, yeah. how do you, you know, the people who say hockey's too complex to model, they're correct that it's very complex, um, but probably not too complex to model, and so... I think when that data comes out, there, and you know we have enough of it to actually build a model, there's going to be a bit of an arms race for who can, who can figure out the correct way to turn these millions and millions of measurements per game yeah. into something slightly more understandable that's also predictive, and then figuring out you know how you sort of merge that basic information together to think about how different players will play together. Yeah, I mean I, I've started to try to you know, get into, you know, using R to do some things. And, like, I, I'm to the point, like, I mean, when I was growing up, I would do, like, I think, like, C++. So I, I have, like, some kind of computer programming experience, yeah. but it's been a long time. And, you know, I'm still, like, at a very, very basic level. But I remember, uh, I think I think it was, like, Money Pucker. Like, there was a website where they're like, hey, we have, like, every shot. for, And, and, I, and I'm like, awesome. I have no idea what to do with that. <laughs> like, it just seems like so much information. Um, oh, it, oh, sorry, yeah. I, I was just going to okay. say, yeah, This the, the trouble is that I think the it was like a million shots or something with like 700 variables for each one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a difficult balance to strike because you don't want to be the person who's necessarily going through and picking out and saying, these three variables are all that matters. Yeah. But you do need to apply a certain amount of human judgment into um, how you're developing the model to make sure that it makes sense and you're not missing really something obvious like if you include um block shots in that and you try to predict the probability that it's a goal based on you know the type of shot obviously block shots and misses and everything aren't going to be you can build a perfect model if you yeah. know exactly what happened is <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah so there, there's difficulties with even the data we have now right yeah it down. Um, all right so so another j question um, I, I have a feeling he was looking at your Twitter bio. All right, so as a lover of puns, yes. Oh. Do you find yourself frequently at odds with yourself about inserting puns into your work? Uh, I don't know that I ever hold myself back too much. I think I try to limit myself to a handful in the intro, okay. and then just getting that out of the way. Um, but it, it's never it's never stopped me from tweeting one. I don't I don't I tend to just like play to my audience there, uh, who seem to be split fifty fifty on puns versus no puns. I think I have a few pun focused followers. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I also have people who tell me to stop like give repeatedly. Us our puns. Give yeah. us our puns. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was sitting, uh, you know, watching your curling thing. I was waiting for a, a, a please hammer don't hurt them. Like, I, headline. Yeah. I saw your <laughs> I saw your tweet yeah. and I had wish I saw it like when I still had time to edit my slides I, I would have paused my, my talk to to yeah. add that in yeah I um, uh, 
Uh, one thing for our listeners about this uh, this conference that, that I learned last year um, is that there's there's people I know, and I'm like, oh, that's that person, and that's like a Blake McCurdy. It's that. But then, like, creeping in the shadows, there's like, oh, he's the director for the hurricane, you know? And, and like, because of that, I limit, like, I, I always have questions I would like to ask as a joke, and I'm like, I that person might, like, want to hire me one day. So, like, you know, I mean, it's a long shot, but... You know, you don't want to you don't want to throw that away. But I had a really good question about Fortnite and CHL data <laughs> with the um, the esports guy. Oh, I thought you were going to ask me that question. No, no, no I don't no. know anything. Oh, I don't know Fortnite. anything either. <laughs> I just remember, you know, there was the Jeff Merrick blind item about the NH- the CHL prospects. Oh yeah, who plays too much Fortnite? Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, but I figured, like, like somebody here might know that person. So, all right. So, so Jay's Jay's final question is. Um, so what is, this is a tough one, I think, what is the most essential stat? So like something we currently have um, that if it didn't exist would make the analytics world fall into pieces. Like, so I guess what's the most, right now, what's the most essential stat? Um, That's a tough one, yeah. It's difficult. I think the most essential piece of data that we have right now is the shot attempt data. So if you didn't have, I guess the answer is Corsi. There's really not much yeah. we could do. We would be relying back again on, you know, plus minus and goals and maybe like goal for percentage rail. Say yeah. percentage rail might be a lot more popular of a, of a stat than, than perhaps it is uh, <laughs> these days. Um, I think that that's probably um, kind of the basis piece of information that it would be really hard to, um, to work without. I think... You know, there is an argument to be made that some of the single number metrics, so stuff like game score, war, point shares, uh, Manny's uh, star rating, stuff like that, um, that information is really useful for like doing analysis on top of to really push the field further. So you can do things like calculating the cost of a win or stuff yeah. like that and start to do more team management, salary cap management, projections outwards. Uh, where if you didn't have like a single number that you trust to be player talent or player contribution, um, it's a lot harder to kind of smush a whole bunch of different stats into one to to write those types of articles where you say you know they're going to be overpaying for their forward group in, in three years because we project that they're they're downhill from here. Yeah, you know we still have about five minutes so. Uh, we had a really good uh, mailbag question from one of our listeners, and I really liked it. So it's from Ryan, who is MTU Moose. Uh, so first of all, thanks, Ryan, for, for giving us uh, you know giving us a question to ask. Um, so it's kind of similar to one of the questions Jay asked, but I think it's different enough, and I think it, it's something that I think people people who are like they're like, okay, I see all these stats, and I'm like overwhelmed, right? So his question is, what what do you think are like the top three metrics an average fan should understand? So like. That, you know, if you only have time to really look at like three different things, because um, he says like I see all sorts of different metrics that get thrown around, I don't have time to study them all. So, which ones provide the best bang for the buck in understanding players in the NHL? Um, so, I don't know if this is a cop out answer or not, um, but I'm going to list like a broad group of okay. stats in sure. order to, in order I'm get, I'm going to call Corsi one stat when okay. it's really like three or four. That's okay, yeah. Um, I think understanding Corsi, I think understanding expected goals, and I think uh, a really important 
stat or less a stat but like concept to understand is how a lot of the new war models work mm. just in terms of what the inputs are um, most of them are regression based and so you to have a general understanding of what the model itself is trying to do what it's trying to um, create when it's going through all of its iterations and tweaking parameters and everything um, really having, having an understanding of that will be really important for um, number one using those numbers correctly because they're very powerful numbers but they're also numbers that have you know significant limitations in that we can only model with a limited subset of the data that we have and there's a lot of assumptions that go into it so you need to understand those to properly interpret the results which I think is kind of you know the ongoing war battle that we're having in the in the analytics community like the answer isn't war is great or war is terrible the answer is that war is good in some situations and bad in others and, yeah. and these are the reasons why yeah but that's not a, that doesn't fit in 200 whatever characters right and it's like um you know i remember when i first started using manny's model like i read i read the short version and then i clicked on the one where it's like you know here's the longer i was like oh my i have like I'm just gonna trust the people I know who know a lot more than me have read this and they say it's <laughs> they say it makes sense. So, all right, so I got two more questions. Right, awesome. we'll roll wrap it up. Um, so I know I'm like far from the first person to talk about this. Do you think there'll ever be a shift from talking about AAV to talking about percentage of cap hit? Um, I would guess that in the in front offices, that's probably the way a lot of the conversations go. I would hope in front offices that that's part of. The, um, the way the conversations go. I, I was actually thinking about this problem a little bit today, um, thinking about my contract model. The way I model it actually models um, player salary as a percentage between zero and one, where zero is league minimum and one is the maximum okay. in the year that they sign, which I think gives, because the minimum is a percentage of the maximum that is shifted around, yeah. it's, it's, it's purely a modeling technique, but it right. makes it a little easier. Yeah. Um, one thought that I had is really thinking about that percentage of cap in terms of how much you could actually bury in the AHL and subtracting that away. That's, oh, that's um, interesting, yeah. Mostly because, like, a player who has a contract for, like, 1.5 million uh, versus, let's say, 4.5 million, you know, that 1.5 million is really only, let's say, half a million in dead space that's there no matter what versus 4 million in dead space that's there no matter what. So... I don't know if that's necessarily going to add any value in analyzing teams, but I'm certainly hopeful that we we do start talking about that because I think a lot of people get sort of anchored on the numbers. Yeah. And and I think players and teams do too. And they, you know, say like Dylan Larkin's making six point one and I'm as the same as Dylan Larkin and so it's three years later and I'll take yeah. six point one when really it should be six yeah. and a half, seven. Yeah. Um all right, so yeah, so the last question um, so, like I said before, you know, I, I really liked your power play uh, piece in, in last year's Hockey Abstract. I guess it's a two-part question. So, so what were both the biggest takeaways that you found in doing the research, and what was, like, the biggest surprise that you found in doing that research? So, one of the, I guess, the two takeaways that I think are the biggest are, number one, four forward um, defensemen, and, and I wrote about this a while ago, but four forward defensemen or four forward power play units tend to do better than three forward units do. Um, it's not like a super novel or like unique concept, uh, but it is one that the difference is big enough that 
um, it should be noticeable to teens, and, and teens, at least at this point, should be moving towards it, which they have been, but yeah. it, it should be more significant. Um, another interesting thing I found um, was researching on power play structure, um, where I came up with a metric to look at the consistency of a power play, and it did seem to be predictive of future results, where power plays that were more consistent in how they were generating opportunities were also the power plays that tended to do better in the future. Yeah. Um, so those were kind of two things that stood out. I was a little surprised that structure, I think when I when I ran it in like a multivariate regression alongside, you know, shot generation or, or, um, or expected goals was roughly as important or maybe a little less important than, than um, shot generation because I really thought ultimately it's about getting shots regardless of where they're from. But there is, I guess, a little bit of extra information in how you're generating them. Again, thank you so much for taking you know taking time out. Um, we, were, we were kind of talking about this before that one of the things that I've found really great is that you know you come here and you're like, oh man, I know that guy. Like you know, and, and like like everybody's like so like really nice and friendly, and, and so it's been really fun. You know, yeah, to, get to talk to people. Yeah. No, it's it's uh, thank you so much for having me on. It's been great. It's been fun to chat, and and yeah, I'd echo like to any of your listeners who are like interested in coming out to these. Like, oh, yeah. they're really amazingly social events where yeah. everyone just you know loves talking about sports or hockey in general. And um, you're if even if you don't know anyone there, you're you're going to meet a lot of people who who share the same passion about you and and really just want to talk about hockey for hours on end. So yeah. So, so again, uh, just so I don't forget, you can follow Matt on Twitter. Uh, it is uh, at C-A-N-E underscore M-A-T-T. Um, so, yeah, thanks again, and uh, enjoy the rest of the conference. Yeah, thanks a lot. You too. Okay, so um, we are still uh, we are still at Rochester. Um, RIT SAC, R-I-T, um, Sports Analytics Conference, has just wrapped up. Uh, we just had the last, uh, we just had the last uh, presentation. And um, so two people were kind enough to join me. Uh, so we have uh, C.G. Turturro and Matt Barlow. They did a, a workshop the first night on Tableau, which is uh, a data visualization site. Um, you've seen a lot of their, you've seen a lot of Tableau stuff on, on Twitter and in, in articles. So, uh, so first of all, um, obviously for both of you, thank you so much for, for doing this. No problem. Um, yep. So just so, because there's two people, just so our listeners can uh, identify the voices, uh, I'm just going to introduce you separately. All right, so, um, so first we have CJ. You can follow him on Twitter at CJTDevil. Um, and so he is a quote-unquote hockey analytics guy, according to his Twitter. Um, and he is a, uh, a contributor to the, uh, the SB Nation uh, New Jersey site. Um, so, uh, yeah, so CJ, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. Yeah? Thanks for having us. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and then Matt, he, uh, again, quote-unquote, makes charts for the Hurry Corsi graphic games, which, which made, me, made me laugh a lot. Um, and he does Python, uh, SQL, R, Tableau. You know, he does a, a bunch of stuff. So, Matt, how are you doing today? I'm good. I actually don't make any charts for the Hurricanes anymore these no? days. I need to update my bio. <laughs> but but I, I if it, if the fancy strikes me, I'll I'll make a chart. But normally, I'm not as chart centric. Luckily, days. I am still a fancy stats guy. <laughs> yes, yes. So, so uh, yeah, Lewis, I'm just gonna get started with um with like a couple kind of conference related questions. All right. So now you know we've we've seen all the presentations. We've been, you know been here for all the uh, all the speakers. Um. So what did you guys think was you know maybe like your top couple presentations of for any reason. It could have been like maybe it was like 
something you, you had no idea before and now you're like, oh, that was cool. I, I learned something I had no idea about or you had a deeper understanding of something you already knew. Like, so however you want to go with that. Uh, I've I got two that come to mind quickly, which was the, uh, the NWHL one. Uh, I really enjoyed. Uh, there was a presentation on the you know the National Women's Hockey League. Um, that was from a fellow SB Nationer, I think, right? Oh no, no, that was a yeah. Uh, is it? I thought it was for Blue Shirt Banner. Blue Shirt Banner. Blue Shirt Banner. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, uh, so that you know, just the, the, the it's exciting to be involved at you know getting at, in at the ground level of a new budding league like that uh, and trying to be you know a pioneer of the statistics movement and see, seeing uh, I think it was Mike, right? Uh, yeah, right. Mike Murphy, I think, uh, present about that was really uh, interesting. And then there was the uh, there was the other one that was kind of just talking about how you should uh, be an analytics person on a team, right? Like, uh, Seth Partner. Yeah, that Seth one. Was, that one yes, was a really strong was, finish was... to like the first segment. So those two, uh, I think, were probably my favorites. So, uh, yeah. Oh, and I think I did a pretty excellent job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for people that aren't familiar, Seth Partno is uh, an analytics guy for the Milwaukee Bucks. He's a perf- so he was kind of limited in what he could actually say, mm-hmm. but what he did kind of touches on a lot of points that people who work in analytics should mm-hmm. probably do. For me, I was really there's a guy who came in and did a lacrosse. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, speech. I'm looking up his name because I want to give him credit because it was <laughs> it was so good. Whatever. Was, he he's talking about how they built the stats for the professional lacrosse league in America, like basically from scratch. Like there's there's no one doing it. How he's he's trained people to count the stats, and then they've um, they're inserting them to the database or doing Jesse research. McNulty. Jesse McNulty. Yes, yes, Jesse McNulty. Um, how they're creating their databases. Um, it's just really interesting to see, like, just starting from the ground up, basically the bottom, you know, and then building it up. And he also showed how they are, like, even ahead of the NHL, they're putting cameras in their stadiums and tracking players that way. That was a pretty common thread over the course of the whole day was everyone begging the NHL to get Yeah, on there. everyone was just, yeah. like, dumping on the NHL for their statistics. <laughs> and... I mean, it's valid, yes. Their statistics are, are pretty bad, but it's also, they are public, too. So, I mean, for as bad as they are, I will give them credit for at least still making them public. Also, I believe, uh, well, Yurko was talking about the, uh, the NFL. NFL has a lot of proprietary, lot of proprietary stats. And while you see that somewhat in NHL, it's not near as prevalent. Mm. Agreed. Yeah, absolutely. I think... Um, uh, you know, I, I definitely agree with, with you guys on you know the presentations you said. I think um, I think actually, if I remember correctly, I, I know in, in the interview with Matt earlier we were talking about um, the uh, the Seth Partnow yeah, presentation because I mean they, even though it, it's it, it wasn't directly about hockey, um, it's just so important for all of the you know hockey analytics people or sports sure. analytics people to know so that and I, I think, I think it's, it's even more helpful because it applies to writing hockey articles. Mm-hmm. You know, for like for somebody like me who's not really not really doing a lot of work in creating data and things like that, I'm, I'm just using it. I'm like you know using it to to support my points and do research and you know try to come to a, a logical conclusion about a question. Um, or if you're doing visualization, you know it's it's the same type of things where you're like, um, you know, how can I present this most effectively? And actually, I think we were talking about that last night. Where you know the idea of 
sometimes like and, and I know this is a problem I kind of ran into is like sometimes you want to put so much like you're so much stuff you want to put out there that you end up running the risk of just having so much information that the reader has no idea what, you, what to focus on yeah I think another part of his of his speech that definitely <laughs> I've taken the heart a lot more recently is just the, the humility part of it just like realizing that what you do is not set in stone like any any sort of analytics because when i first started out like i was so excited about analytics i was coming up with all these answers i had all the answers of course course he's always right you're dumb um and so obviously like if you know like interact with me on twitter like two two and a half years ago you, you probably would have thought i'm not a nice person and that have been a, a true thing but i've definitely as the more i've learned the more the more I've learned how little I actually know as well. You become more and uncertain of your findings, and it's always a good idea to just carry that uncertainty with you when you're doing any sort of analytical. Um, Unless you're on Reddit, in which case. You know. Yeah, if you're, I mean, yeah, if it's anonymous, just whatever. But I, I've, tried to, I've always tried to build, like, some people are anonymous on Twitter, which is fine. I've always tried to build a... Um, I am who I am. Like, I'm on Twitter. Mm-hmm. You're getting me. Yeah, both of us are. You're, you're yeah. Matt Barlow on Twitter. I'm CJ Tutorial. On Twitter, yeah, right? so, like, so you... No me too. I, mean, I, I use my real name. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, for a long time, I did. Because mm-hmm. I had a pen name. Like, uh, I used to... Um, when I was in the Navy, like, a long time ago, I, I did a news satire site called The Fake News. Mm-hmm. And so my Reddit <laughs> handle is The Fake News. And, like, nobody takes me seriously. I mean, I'm not on Reddit very much. Like, And, and when I am, most it's of the time... Just, the fake most news of the time, I'm just reading. Thing. Uh, I, I, I comment very infrequently on right. um, yeah. But when I do, every, like it's always like, oh, how can I trust you? And it's like, ah. <laughs> but um, fun fact, actually, the uh, the fake news.com selling that domain paid for this MacBook. Oh, really? And like <laughs> well, $3,000 others worth of stuff. I mean, so. I had to pay for mine with cash. So. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, look, you did good there. I just went and didn't have a website. Yeah. <laughs> so for the longest time on Twitter, I was Jimmy Wellington, which was my, my like, pen name or whatever and then yeah like you know a couple years ago actually like kind of like when i joined up with winging in motown i just i was like you know i mean who knows if it'll ever lead to like mm. a professional job or anything but at the same time like maybe it will and yeah. you know <laughs> i should at least be taking know, credit yeah. for that was the know? same way like i didn't get on well i was on twitter and i was following analytics people but i didn't really like start getting my name out there i, I ran the fan-sided carolina hurricanes page for one season and that was when I started putting my name on stuff because I was writing a whole lot and then doing a whole lot of visuals and Tableau and stuff like that so I definitely followed that once started writing for a block and then I stopped doing that but I just kind of kept I was actually uh, yeah the, the reason my name's there is actually because the uh, the managing editor all about the jersey John Fisher uh, it was a policy for him that all the writers that were writing for all about the jersey need to use their real names uh, on the articles uh, yeah. for the people who, you know. Which yeah. I, I think is a good policy. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I agree. Like, it, I like and, and obviously so, it kind of sucks, you know, to have people, like, just coming at you saying you're stupid when you write stuff. <laughs> but, I mean, I think it, it, it definitely... I'm doing this for five years. Yeah, it? <laughs> yeah I mean, you, you know what you say. You start to develop a very... Yeah, you, yeah. you get used to it. But um, I just think it, for me personally, put my name on it, 
made me put that much extra effort in, mm. in what I was doing. You have to own whatever yeah, you got to own. Yeah, you can't, you can't hide behind you. a Reddit <laughs> yeah. name or, or, you know, troll post or whatever. If you say something ridiculous, you can't just change the pseudonym and then have a new opinion. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you can't just, like, come out and say, like, trade Connor McDated for uh, six round <laughs> and expect to not get clowned on on Twitter. <laughs> so I think that's a good thing. Yeah, so I, I want to come back to, um, you know, we were talking about the, the conversation we were having last night about, um, you know, sometimes you set out to do something, you realize that, okay, I've done, I've made this too complicated. So, so a personal experience that actually all three of us shared is, um, you know, a while back I was trying to put something together, like a, a, a pretty complicated dashboard compared to like pretty easy stuff. And, you know, both of you were super helpful on Twitter and like, you know, helping me do it. And... I think I, I told you this last night, like when I was done, I came to the realization that I was like, I don't really like this. You know, like there's two, like I tried to do too much. And like, as a result, like it, it's not as useful as I wanted it to be. But at the same time, I do think that I learned a lot. So my, my question is, um, you know, since we all make mistakes, it's part of the learning process, right? So, you know, what are, what are the best lessons that you've learned from making mistakes? And it could be visualizations, it could be anything else. like. Hockey-related or staff-related. Uh, well, I mean, th- th- see, it would be unfortunate for me just because I have a very similar kind of uh, revelation with, uh, with regards to Viz. Because, like, even if you just look at what's on my tableau right now, you'll see the first one that I had uh, had a lot of information on it, right? And it's, I think, I, I, I still like. I look back at it and I still think it's for the information that I wanted to show. It's about as simple as it could have been. But I think I got too hung up with like efficiently using the space. Uh, trying to show as much information with as little moving parts as possible, uh, and I wasn't, uh, I d- didn't care enough about making sure that it was immediately intuitive, right? So in the second iteration, my second attempt at this type of thing, uh, you can see like the all three zone comparison tool. There's you know a bunch of colored bars, and I, I, I used a lot of different ways to show the same thing, right? There's an x-axis, there's a colored bar uh, on the x-axis, and it's labeled. All of them, I'm showing the same thing in three different ways, right? It's it's really redundant. It's not sound statistics to do what I did, but it makes everyone understand really quickly what it is that that viz represents. Uh, and that one was the one that people seem to catch on to. So sometimes uh, I need to you know put my you know statistical or really rigorous analytical mind uh, on the back burner for a second and worry about what, what it is that uh, will help people understand as opposed to just what gets the most information out there? Um, for me, like if, with dealing with failure, I think a very good uh, habit is to to own it, publish your failure, mm. show people what you did. Mm. Um, I mean, it, at least that way, like a lot. I mean, it's human nature to try to want you want to hide that stuff, and but I think it, it leads to a better development. Cause um, if you know nice people, you know obviously not everyone's nice, but if you know people and they see it, and you ask them, hey, like, hey, this isn't good, like what's wrong you get you get some great feedback you also can help other people i think a lot of time in the analytics community um we see all the successes and we don't see like any of the failures and there's probably like 10 failures to one success for everything you do you write a script it, it like any script i've ever written there's probably like 30 iterations of it where it's been awful <laughs> and then what it comes out is still sort of awful but at least it works so i, I think Sharing your failures with people is, is a good step because it allows you to get that feedback um, that you need. Because if, if you're coming out with everything perfect, there's just not a whole lot of room for growth. 
there. Yeah, I think uh, an extension of uh, people having a bias towards success is people having a bias towards like profundity or importance, right? So like if, if, if you do a study on trying to find correlation between something and you don't find the correlation, publish that study. Don't go hunting for a correlation somewhere, right? But don't go looking for an R squared. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. So now you know not to look at that. Right, if, you're, yeah. if your R squared is 0 0.007, yeah. I want to know that yeah. because... So it's, it's like, like I, I, I thought it was going to be true, but it's not. Yeah, exactly. so it's it's like, important. Like for me, I came up more recently with a prospect model and it just did not, did not work. Like my whole, I don't know, I don't know yet why it didn't work. It just didn't work. <laughs> But I but I published it. I was like, here it is, you know. So don't do this. <laughs> don't be me. Don't, yeah, don't be me. It was like basically I'd created these probability buckets and nothing nothing was working out. I don't even know if it was like statistically sound, but it just wasn't good, um, or the results weren't good. Even though some of the actual testing, like the AUC, was good, but just the way I I put it together just did not work. So I, I just yeah. yeah I'm definitely gonna take that advice in I'm I, I'm gonna give next year I'm gonna give one more shot at this award prediction model that I'm working on and if I can't figure it out that time <laughs> I'm just gonna pu publish whatever I have yeah, because yeah. I think award prediction is really tough because you have such a small sample right yeah, so yeah. few players get votes it might just be that I can't do this and if I can't then I'm just gonna yeah tell so sometimes <laughs> you you you're just not gonna uh, model stuff. It's just not not everything work. is yeah. that easy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, I, I definitely, I, I agree with you, and I think that, I think that's a really important thing, especially if we have listeners who are maybe just trying to start out getting into anything related to the field in writing or, or you know, data. Um, it's for most people, it's really hard to ask for honest feedback because it sucks when somebody tells you that something you worked really hard on is not as good as you thought it is. It sucks in the moment, right? right? You're yeah. thankful you thankful that like, without that, you're never gonna get what you want to get. You know, it's like you have to you have to be willing to open yourself up, and and obviously you're gonna want to find people who are gonna be honest with you, but not be like, well, here's why this is a piece of crap. You know, here's <laughs> why this I don't know this is dumb. I don't know why you you know yeah. like so. Anytime I write anything that has to do with with data, I always try to talk to Prashanth and like. At, you know, maybe just kind of run my ideas by him or like see if he can just read a draft of it. You know, just because he's someone I trust, number one, to know what he's talking about. But number two, if he thinks that there's something that could be better or if he thinks that this doesn't really work, he's going to tell me. He's not just going to be like, well, I don't want to hurt his feelings. Like he's, he's going to be nice about it, but he's going to tell me. Yeah. You know, and I think that's really important. So like for you guys, like who do you, who do you get feedback from? Uh, mostly him, okay. uh, whether I asked for it or not. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, that's usually just about like your film choices, and general <laughs> lifestyle. But uh, for for me, uh, the, the, and the evolving wild, the evolving wild, yeah, twins, that's probably the um, are, are both of those guys. We both kind of started in the analytics around the same time. Like we both started doing or kind of first got noticed by working with uh, Dawson's uh, "Don't Tell Me About Hearts." Mm -hmm war models like he he did that and i made a tableau of them and then it just took off everybody yeah. wanted to know about <laughs> the models and like all these people that i followed started following me back it was just and that, then that, he, then that he predated me by like yeah, yeah it was good six months yeah i, I remember like the, it was at this conference last year that we found out he got or no it was shortly after he got hired by Cronky. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. i remember we were at mcgregor's and we had the giant, you know, huge like Game of Thrones wedding table style <laughs> table. We will have a and, and I ended up sitting directly across from him. I'm like, oh man, that's that's him. Like, <laughs> and and I remember talking to Prashant. I was like, so, so so does this mean that 
that the guards going away. <laughs> and Chrysanthemum's like, I have some bad news for you. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, Dawson, I am super happy for you, and I'm also really angry at you <laughs> because I, I loved, like, I really like liked you. There was that no model. way someone wasn't going to pick up the guard. Sure, guards, yeah, though, right. Like, it's too much yeah. of a desirable yeah. uh, statistic. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I'm not, but the thing is, I'm not even sure they may have, they may have picked him up for Gar. But I just think he's he's also very he's got a very strong statistical background. Yeah, like he's one of the first him and Manny. I mean, obviously, Polsky um, as well. Have, yeah. But they they like brought a lot of more rigor to to some of these things than Micah. Yeah, Micah as well. Yeah. yeah. And actually, I, I had a I had a flashback the other day when I. When Manny tweeted that if we don't stop arguing about war, he's going to delete his model, yeah. and I, I wanted to DM him and be like, "You're joking? You're kidding, right? Please!" Like, kept, kept, I'm going to yeah. download it right now. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I have it all. Well, I have yeah, it. exactly. As, maybe, like, as soon as something comes out, I just download the spreadsheets now because well, I'm like, at least I have also something, uh, you know. Also, Manny's uh, war model is completely open source and on mm. GitHub as well. Yeah. So if you want to run it, you can run it, and that's. Uh, that's a big thing too. Um, I guess if we're, if we're still talking about new people, one thing I'd like to mention is, like, when you're starting out, like, don't compare yourself to to these people that have been doing it forever. It just it just like it'll you be know, depressing. It'll be very de- like even <laughs> sure sure even yeah, yeah. I, especially I, not Manny. Do not <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah like because I made this draft project and then Manny comes along and like <laughs> what a week, I, I, two I, weeks, I've been maybe. working on this for like three months. Yeah, and obviously I think Manny does this full time, so that helps out. But I'm. I'm not saying I'm as smart as Manny, but like in two or three weeks, he's yeah. he's he's got a model up and it looks much better than anything I was doing. So, like even I've achieved some small amount of success, and then even still, when I look at like people like Manny, um, people like Matt Kane, yeah. people who are even Dawson, like they've been doing this for for years before mm-hmm. I even picked up a tableau. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, it reminds me like like I have uh, in in my That's high school right. classroom. I have I have very few posters and stuff up. Um, I do have one thing that is a it's a cool. I, I believe it's by Ira Glass, and the, the 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 full version is pretty long. But the short version is basically that everybody who's who wants to do something great always starts off bad, and you know you're bad because you know what good is. Right, and the fact that you know what good is means that there is a chance that you could get there. It's just going to be frustrating because you know where you want to be, you're not there yet. But the only way to get there is to keep going, even when you're failing, like, even when you're yeah. not there. You got to like the only way is to put in the work, put in the time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, it, don't be afraid to suck at something. Yeah. Okay, like for like so uh, when I was just starting to get used to how to use R to do everything that I wanted to do with it. Uh, I, I was like, I'm gonna try to scrape the NHL play-by-play data, right? This is something that I was never going to be able to catch up to Manny and you know that the, everyone who's doing NHL play-by-play yeah. scraping. This is a Herculean task for me, relatively new in R at the time to take on. But uh, the skills that I learned in the process, I still have a functioning play-by-play scraper that I never use because everyone else's is better, yeah. right? But the skills that I learned in that process are what were what made me able to deal with all of Corey's data, right? Yeah. So even if it's not, even if the specific task that you're working on, even if you're never going to be the best or succeed in that particular task, the skills that you might learn in the process could be applicable elsewhere. Sure. So never let the fear of failure disincentivize uh, a, a task that you think, even if it just might be interesting, mm-hmm. even if it doesn't necessarily have to be helpful. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I gotta agree with that. Like you just. It's it's all about the time you put in, to be honest. And obviously, a lot of people, you know, 
their lives and don't have a lot of time. It, it, it's it's more a time sink than it is any sort of I'm smarter than you or they're smarter than you. They've just put in the time. They've just they've just learned it. Like it it, it is a time sink and, and you may not ever catch up to that. But as long as you're you're enjoying what you're doing and that's the main thing. So if you're like, enjoying it, it won't feel like such a time commitment. Yeah, like, yeah. like how many like check out Matt Barlow's Twitter at three AM on like an average weekday. Right? <laughs> yeah, like I'm usually posting something I'm working on. Well, yeah. for me I have a kid, so I don't yeah. really I'm not able to work until after my yeah. kid goes to bed. And so that's it's obviously hard. It's it's not impossible, but it, it, it is much harder that way. Like all like most of these these guys are young. I'm I'm more relatively older. Ancient. Ancient. Fossil. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Taking into rigor mortis. If, if it's if it's 3 a.m. and you've been checking that out, you know, check out Chris Watkins' Twitter because <laughs> he, is, dark. he is going through <laughs> actively telling you why everything you love is terrible. Uh, that's that's pretty much his brand, uh, other than hockey. Uh, so, um, you know, uh, our our podcast has has a, a, another host, another co-host, uh, Jay, uh, and he's he's not here. He's in Detroit, um, but he sent me he sent me a few questions. Um, and so I wanted to make sure I, I got to ask at least one of them. And so um, I, I thought this was a really interesting one, right? So his question is, when it comes to data visualization, right, what's what's your big pursuit? Like, what's your most ambitious way to present something? So, like, if you could be like, I'm going to create the perfect thing, like, like what would it be? Like, what would, uh, you know, I don't know. I'm just going to go ahead and say yeah. I'll start off here. Like, for me, like... I'm more about the communication of the data. And the more I, I get into that, the more I find anything beyond a bar graph, a line graph, and a scatter plot. Like, like it looks good, but you're not as efficiently communicating your findings as you could be. So the stacked pie chart one. Yeah, oh god. I mean like like there's tons of people that do great visualizations, but there's always that fine line you got you you, you have between it being effective and it looking good. And, and it's, it's an axis. It's, it's very hard to do both. And the people that do are, like, amazing at it. Like, Rob Tufts um, is very good at it. Some of the people I mentioned on my slides are, are in that category as well. But for me, I, I'm not as artistic of a person, so I just more work towards efficiency to get the data out there to, so people can, can make actionable decisions on it. Yeah, I would say that the – I feel like – if I, if I tried to answer the question too well, like, you know, the pursuit of, like, a perfect viz type thing, I would end up falling into that trap that I fall, fell into originally, which is trying to show too much information, right? Um, the only way that I can see that working is if you have, like, if you create, like, say, in Tableau, you can make a dashboard, which is several different things. If you can do that, and when you hover over one piece of data, that piece of data highlights in all four places so that everyone can see where they are in relation to this set of data, where it is in relation to a pie chart, where it is. If you can make it so that the user can navigate it and immediately get perspective in, from several vantage points, that would be the only way that I would say that I, I, I would like to shoot for a way to uh, you know, put in a lot of data. And it also wouldn't be too complicated because your eye only needs to look at one thing at a time. But then if you want to, you can navigate over to what did what do they look like in a different context? Yeah. And also, I'd like to just add on there, like when making your visualizations, like you, you're in control. You're, you're not just putting data out there. Like you need to tell a story. Like like the, um, who who mentioned your stats don't don't talk. You do mm -hmm. same way with visualizations. You you 
need to set up the stats to tell the story that you want to tell to the people that are viewing. Like you can add in the interactivity with Tableau and allow people to drill in, but ultimately you, you need to have a vision for, for what you're trying to show. And that, that, that helps out a lot. It helps reduce clutter and uh, kind of focus in on the important things. All right, I think I have, I have like two more questions. One's, one's more serious, one's a little more fun. Uh, so it's always fun to end on like a fun one. Uh, but don't get nervous, it's not like a, a bad um, It's not like I'm gonna like pull a prank on you and now we're gonna do so, you know. Um, all right, so th this is something I'm, I'm definitely really interested in this idea. So um, with as many versions of different models and things like that now, how do you evaluate whether a model or stat is something that you should pay attention to, right? Because, you know, like, oh, hey, this new thing's out, I'm gonna make a visualization, but like, you're not just like, oh, just because somebody puts something out, I'm just gonna immediately run and go do it. Because like, you know, we, we, you know, we always talk about Manny, you know, of course, it was Corsica stuff, and I've tried, I don't have enough math background to really follow his explanation, but a lot of people who are way smarter than me, they've read it and they're like, yeah, that makes sense. You know, so I like the people I trust, trust the methods he's using. You know, so for me, like, I mean, I have to ask somebody else, but like, how do you decide if this new thing is worth paying attention to, or maybe it's something like, maybe, you know, maybe let's not trust that just yet because maybe there's a flaw in the process or something like more that. Of, oh, slightly more modeler. Than yeah, for, for me, the, the main thing for me is how open they are with mm. their processes mm. and their data. Yeah. Like, you can come out, if you come out and say, um, this is proprietary, I don't want to share this. This I'm trying to make money off that. I respect that. You know, like, yeah, I still respect your decision. And that's, they're still important to look at that too. But people who, who come out with stuff and just kind of like say, oh, I'm going to do a write-up or this, they don't really show like any correlation matrices or, you know, just a general write-up how, what their process is, what their thought process is for you to criticize it. That's a big red flag for me. And I'm not saying everyone that does this is is out to you know pull the hood put yeah, like, like, you know they're, they're not all people, people, sales yeah, pe yeah people are busy but for me if i don't have a write-up to at least look at i may not understand it all then i'm going to favor something else that i can study and 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 look at how the decisions they've made affects the outputs of the model yeah as, a, as another example uh the you know the way that his uh, he had several writes I think three or four articles but uh, Harry Harry Schomer the yeah uh, offsides review uh, he when he published his um, his expected goals model he had how it performed against some other ones that we know uh, sure and, uh, in addition to just straight shots or weighted Fenwick I think was also there. yeah <laughs> so he had like a full list of how it compared to everything that we know today. So I think in that way, you don't, it, it kind of takes out this factor of, you know, you're asking like, how do you trust new information? I was like, well, he's showing it, yeah. right? Like he's, sh he's showing why we yeah. should or shouldn't trust it. And uh, if you look through the stats, right? Like it's, it, it just didn't like overperform right in every metric yeah. right it's not like his was the best and this was just you know shameless self-promotion yeah, right there were places that would where it didn't have help. Red, red, i mean that would probably raise red flags right because yeah if you were the best in everything you'd yeah be like, it's yeah. like hey this is unbelievable <laughs> you know i mean like, like for me i'd be like it sounds too good to be true and i you know i like you know buyer beware let's be really careful of this and and you know again i would talk to my friends who know a lot more than i do and i'd be like hey so what's is it really this good or like like what's going on with this uh, one quick thing, sure. I, uh, I just want to go ahead and plug Offsides Review. If you don't mm. know about it, it's a great site. Harry Schumer is a very smart. He's like a lesser-known Manny that works in Python, in my yeah. opinion. He's, yeah. he's a really smart guy.
Yeah, I used his. Uh, I used Offsides Review, his website, for the Ritzak presentation that I just did, mm-hmm. actually, because he lets you. Uh, he has basically game logs. He aggregates by game as opposed to just by season mm-hmm. or by date span, which is what Natural Statric and Corsica allow you yeah. to do. So he's the, the, the excellent, uh, excellent resource yeah. out there. It's just a little different than the, than the other guys, mm-hmm. but also has uh, XG, yeah, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, so um, just just to wrap it up. Um, like I said, I mean, obviously this, this whole conversation has been like fun and positive and all that stuff, but just in case, just in case I always want to end on like a positive note, right? So since I've gotten to know the two of you on Twitter from interacting and things like that, so the two of you definitely spend a lot of time needling each other on Twitter, right? So what's the one thing you each most appreciate about the other person? <laughs> I, I thought we were going to go the opposite way. No, I, was, no, I, I was all ready to just nope. like completely No, berate. because we already know the other Absolutely one. Absolutely <laughs> nothing. No. No. <laughs> um, so uh, he, he's already talked about yeah. it a lot. It's like, this uh, is an intervention, today. by the way. No, yeah. just <laughs> he's already talked about it a little bit today, but there's kind of two, uh, two big things, uh, which is the, you know, how open he is with all of his uh, processes, uh, and that kind of feeds into a, a larger thing, which is that uh, all of his tutorials, I think he's one of the greatest uh, education sources in the hockey analytics community right now with the uh just like the the you know list of different tutorials and he's you know he's helped me he's helped andy he's helped you yeah, right like uh, there's a lot of different people that would not be in analytics or would not be known in analytics today if it wasn't for his uh his openness and how much like uh like i messaged him i don't know probably like seven eight times just to create my first mediocre tableau yeah. right and he had no reason to help me yeah uh but he did yeah so. and i mean I, I can i can second that you know i mean like mm-hmm. you and, and it's, it's funny because I remember, like, obviously on the one hand, I was like, oh, this, it's really awesome that this guy's helping me. Like, like this is great. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like, I don't want to just be like, ask him to do it for me. You know, mm-hmm. like, like, I really want, like, before I ask the next question, I want to have tried to figure it out on my own. Mm-hmm. You know, and then if I have to, I'm like, oh, hey, I, okay, what about this? And like, yeah. you know, he, yeah, so Matt, you, you definitely... Definitely had a positive impression on me in that. In that, like, I can definitely second what you said. He's yeah. terrible taste in movies, though. <laughs> <laughs> those, those are very you just kind couldn't, words. You just couldn't help <laughs> no, no, no way. Uh, to be honest, CJ, like, I just really like interacting with him. Mm. Like, he's a he's a he's a guy like I consider a friend on Twitter, even though this is the first time we met. Yeah. Um, he's great to interact with. He's always positive with his sort of feedback if you ever need it. He's got a stats background, which I don't. So if I ever have a stats question, I can always go to him. Because he's a master in statistics, correct? Um, he's just an all-around general nice guy, other than his awful taste and everything. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, like yeah. See, like he's, sometimes you just meet people on Twitter, and you kind of like, even though we we need each other, at least for me, like it's it's comfortable at least, yeah. and just and so um, I've just enjoyed yeah. talking to him, discussing stats with him, and it's always nice to, you know, for me, I I put a thing up on google sheets a while ago like good hockey twitter follows like you want to cultivate other people who who are fans of other teams there's because it's impossible to watch 31 teams and like cj is my devil's guy like yeah. he, if i need to know something about the devils i go to him and you just kind of like uh prashant is it would be my red wings guy um you know they're spread sure. throughout the league yeah, yeah. and i think uh, for as if you're getting the analytics you need to build these relationships because it is impossible to watch all 30 yeah. like 
Like, yeah, the, the, the twins, uh, yeah. the, 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 after they made their war model, right? Yeah. Like, they, they asked me, like, does this make sense? Yeah. As devil. So, like, so if you cultivated these types of relationships, yeah. then after you've done your own research, you can ask around and be like, yeah. does this make sense? Is this stupid? I don't know this yeah. team enough, right? Like, yeah. so it's yeah, definitely... Yeah, because uh, they'll ask me, they'll, they showed me the, the canes. Yeah, exactly, right? Stuff. Same I'm idea. Like, yeah, <laughs> they use... And I was like, it's disappointing for, yeah. because Damon Severson's not good on yeah. this model. <laughs> but I guess, yeah. On, yeah, like, like you, I you, guess you see some, some weird <laughs> stuff, too, in advance. And you know, like, what people are going to complain about. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I can feel like an insider when I yeah, post it. Yeah. All the while, to get to be released, Gar is this yeah. But no, CJ's been great, though. We haven't, like, I guess technically worked together other than mm. me helping him with Tableau. But yeah. he's been very helpful in, in, like, promoting me as well because – Right now, I don't do a whole lot of original research or hockey analytics. I just kind of do my own thing. And he was kind of one of the first people, like, when his viz took off, he, he gave me all the credit, or not all the credit, but tons of credit with helping with it. Your lion's share of the credit. <laughs> which, uh, which he didn't need to do. It was, was very appreciated. And there was a couple people today in, in Red Sack that, that gave me shout-outs. That, yeah. like, that yeah. I really had little to nothing to do with what what they were doing, but it was just very nice. Like to I said, hear. like, it, but that's that's my point is that if I don't do that, then other people don't know who to ask, right? right like yeah. uh, everyone else, uh, everyone else now knows that they can ask him about random yeah. things, right? Just, uh, yeah. I think I think the hockey community, the hockey analytics community as a whole, generally does a pretty good job of uh, like uh, of promoting within, yeah, like, making well, sure well, other people who are doing good things get known. That that's true, and I do agree with that. But like with with my niche. Well, what I do when I started out, I found like helping that beginner, beginner going from beginner to to someone who can do things. That was kind of like a wasteland when I mm, first started. Mm, agreed. So, so I'm glad people are getting more into analytics and whatever little part I've had to, to do with that mm. is is definitely very uh, humbling. Yeah. So. Nice. Well, I mean, I think I think it's definitely a, a really good, positive way to end it. Um, so, uh, so th- thank you very much uh, again. Uh, I think I think I forgot to say Matt's Twitter handle before, so I'm just going to say both of them. Right, so Matt Barlow is uh, M A T T underscore uh, Barlow B A R L O W E. Can't forget the E. Exactly. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's always like, is it one T or two T? Is it? Yeah. yeah. Uh, There's and, another guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I have a Canadian doppelganger <laughs> who's Matt Barlow. Yeah. Like he he's from Canada. And he currently lives in the states and. I like found him randomly just looking at someone's Twitter thread, and I was like, "Hey, you're my Canadian twin." <laughs> and people were like, "What's that hockey guy? Oh, he's Canadian. He must yeah. be the hockey guy." Yeah, and, 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 like he, he liked hockey, and it was like we're very simple. Like we don't like interact that much, but follow Sorry, each we've other. We've interrupted yeah. your sign. No, it's okay. <laughs> I'm talking about my uh, Twitter twin. Yeah. It's like I mean, hand like, twins and friends. Yeah. I mean, I always I always think the interviews are more the, the most interesting for our guests when it, people are genuinely enjoying interacting with each other. And I mean, obviously, you guys do. And you know, from me talking to you guys, yeah, yeah. So, um, just yeah. So, just so I don't forget, uh, CJ is at CJT Devil on Twitter. Uh, so, Matt and CJ, thank you both uh, so much. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks awesome. for having us. Uh, I was gonna do one more plug. <laughs> you can do it if you want. Oh, I was just going to plug my website. Yeah, Bar- go for it. Yeah. Barlow, like, they're speaking of the tutorials, barlowanalytics.com. You can find all my tutorials there. I've kind of slowed down because I've got other projects, but yeah. I'm hoping to pick back up once the season yeah. starts. And CJ, remind me, what's the, what's the name of the, the Devils? Oh, all about the jersey. Okay, yeah. cool. I, I was pretty sure, but I wasn't 100% sure, and I figured... I think I mentioned it at some point yeah. in the middle, so... Nice. <laughs> all right, so thanks a lot.
That's some great stuff from our roving road reporter, Mr. Pete Flynn, and awesome insight into what Ritzak has to offer. And be sure to check out the Ritzak uh, site. It's uh, rit.edu slash science slash money puck. Um, for those of you who are big NHL players, you'll hear the term money puck and either be struck with excitement or fear because that means either the game is going to be over for you or for the person playing against you. Once again, I'd like to thank our guests, Mr. Matt Kane, Mr. Matt Barlow, Mr. CJ Tuturo. You can follow Mr. Kane at Kane underscore Matt. Once again, another person who never has to worry about finding a classic handle. Uh, you can follow Matt at Matt underscore Barlow. Geez, that's a that's twofer uh, in the awesome handle department that doesn't require any sort of magic character limit or uh, signs or emojis. And then you can also follow CJ at CJT Devil. Uh, Devil obviously means he is a huge, huge New York Rangers fan. Just kidding. That would be the Devils. So that wraps up another fun episode of For Sure, a 200-foot podcast. You can always follow our nonsense online at 200-foot-pod. That's at 200-FTPOD. You can also follow Pete Flynn at P. Flynn Hockey. That is uh, exactly how it is spelled. And then you can follow me as well, you know, if you just don't have anything else going on, at the roar underscore 24 we also know you like merch so tinyurl.com slash for shirt i'm pretty sure i'm saying that correctly because you know pete likes to say it all the time uh it's a fantastic shirt there are uh, a lot of shirts out there that uh sound neat and could be neat but they aren't because they aren't the for shirt because it's our name and it's a shirt put together so uh once again thank you for listening and uh we'll be back at you soon hockey season is coming Hockey season's coming.